So we're asking a question, why would a golfer ever now pay for the higher end PXGs? All right, everybody, we are back after a nice break, ready and refreshed. We have Harry, Chris, Tony, and Adam Beach joining us today for No Putts Given. Let's get it. All right, everybody, how was your break? Did you have some good time off? Yeah, never long enough, right? <laughs> it's It was long enough to where you don't want to come back to uh, work. <laughs> that's, that's exactly how long it was. I love this job. It's a great job. Sometimes you, you go, you know, is there a job that isn't as good as vacation? <laughs> Not really. I don't know. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad everybody had a little bit of time to relax because now we've got some news to cover. Uh, John Rahm, we've seen uh, in making making some headlines, signing with Callaway after formerly being number one with TaylorMade. So I want to start and get all of your thoughts on why he might do this and if you think it's a good move. Uh, Adam, why don't we start with you? Welcome back. Hey, shot out of a cannon here, ready to go. Why <laughs> switch? I have no idea because if TaylorMade got you to number one, I don't see how Callaway gets you anywhere above that. So outside of limited options to go somewhere else and money, I don't see the reasoning or the justification. And, you know, I can see him saying, hey, I shot 59 with these clubs and all this to, you know, justify it and rationalize it from a marketing standpoint. But from a performance standpoint and having equipment, that gets you to the top of your game. Uh, he was already at the top of the mountain, you know, with the clubs he had before. So I don't really get it. Harry, what about you? Do you understand it? Is it just a new challenge? I think it could just be a new challenge. I mean, how long? I don't know how long he was with TaylorMade, but he's tired of being number one. Just wants to be. <laughs> he <right>. might, <laughs> it might that be. That challenge is just not enough. I'm so sick of being the best in the world. At something. So, it sucks. Man, being the best is just it's not good enough, man. I got to be better. It's like one day I was having some issues in school and teacher came up to me and said, you know, it's harder to do what you're doing than it is just to come to class and get A's. You know what I mean? Like you're putting in more effort to get a C than you are an A. And I was like, valid point. But yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's, I think he might've got bored. And then th there was a check with multiple zeros that potentially was more than TaylorMade was offering. For the golfers, PGA Pro, they're going to chase money. I mean, Justin Rose did it didn't work out for him so this might be a, another scenario where he comes back and cries back to his tailor-made family in a few years if he if he performs like crap but i don't think that's going to happen chris what about you do you think uh it was about money a contract dispute or do you think it was about the equipment i i, I don't think it's about the equipment these companies are, are, are pretty much able to get guys into and gals into the equipment that fits them best, particularly if they're into playing a certain type of iron. I'll go back to Justin Rose. When he did switch to Hanma, he was on record saying, hey, a blade is a blade. You know, I'm not worried about transitioning to different types of equipment because the specs, they, they can transition and get them so exact so quickly. I think it's really about two things. One, I do think it's about money. It always is on some level, particularly when you're at that level of the game. The other thing I think it's about is ego. I mm. think you want to be someplace where you're wanted. And I'm 100% speculating. But you look at the stable of guys. You got Rory. You got Tiger. TaylorMade has some of these guys. And, you know, I wouldn't be at all surprised if, if Callaway made a pitch to him around, hey, you want to have your face on a couple more magazines? You want to be more of that kind of leading role within, within a company? We can offer you some of that and hey by the way equipment's just as good blah 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 let's give it a run let's see what happens and and played to a little bit more of that ego play than maybe just a strict performance play i would say that's a really good way to think about it as well because i know after Tra travis matthews haven't hasn't really got that kind of guy to be the forefront. And I think he fits that kind of persona a little bit better. Well, we, we didn't even talk about that. This isn't just a Callaway deal. This is a Travis Matthews yeah, deal. Yeah, this is a Travis Matthews. Which yeah. is also owned by Callaway, right? Yeah. right? And Callaway has shown that they know how to spotlight one of their players. Look at Phil Mickelson. So maybe they're telling John Rahm, you can be our next Phil Mickelson, and Travis Matthews is too, right? You know, to Harry's point. Yeah. Tony, do you think he can get back to number one with Callaway? I mean, I think he could probably get back to number one with any brand that, that makes equipment for the tour, right? At, equipment manufacturers will quietly admit to the, this. is like At some level, it stops being about the equipment and about the player. And I think, I think the tour is 
you know, a pretty good example of, of where that starts to kick in. And so, you know, if you're asking why, like, I, I think there are a number of factors in play. The first of which, if you look at Callaway's tour staff, comparably, you put that up against TaylorMades or Titleist, right? Arguably, in terms of market appeal, you could even say up against Cobra with with Bryson and, and Ricky, who kind of generate excitement in different ways. Callaway's staff was weak. Right. You have an aging Phil Mickelson who doesn't look like he could win on the PGA Tour. He's doing well in the senior tour, but you know, we know that's not a needle mover. Xander Shoffley looks like he's gonna break through at any time and, and just blow up and, and maybe win, you know, three, four, five times a year, but that hasn't happened yet. So uh by way of comparison, Callaway's staff was weak. They needed a guy. The other piece of it is is let let's not lose track of the fact that there may not have been a choice here. Right. TaylorMade has a lot of money invested in tour guys, and they brought in Tommy Fleetwood, who, short of Brooks Kepka, uh, would be the most coveted guy in terms of signing to a deal. And so if you are going to spend money in one place like that, you have to not spend money in another place. And so in some respects, I think John Rahm, as well as Jason Day, who we haven't talked about, right? Jason Day has quietly disappeared from the TaylorMade roster as well. I think decisions were made on where to spend money. And, and John Rahm was probably the odd, one of the odd men out, or at least to the degree where TaylorMade likely wasn't willing to offer the kind of money that Callaway was. Because again, if you look at TaylorMade staff, Dustin Johnson, Tiger Woods, <laughs> Colin Morikawa now, uh, just... You have Rory, and they've leveraged Ricky. Yeah, Rory, I forgot Rory, right? Yeah, he he's pretty good. Yeah, they're stacked. I mean, nobody's gotten more out of a ball glove deal than TaylorMade has with Ricky, you know? <laughs> yeah, and... and <laughs> And they and that's true. They use they use Ricky Fowler's ball and glove deal in much the same way they'd use a full club deal. If you didn't know better, you would think that Ricky Fowler was a tailor made staffer as well. So there comes a point where it's do we really need to pay John Rahm? What it what is the benefit to our brand? And I would argue in the position that TaylorMade is in right now, no disrespect to John Rahm, but it's tough to justify paying him when you have all those other guys. Yeah. And we don't, I mean, we haven't really touched on it, but quantifying the return on investment and ROI of a player anyway in golf has never really been done that well. So it becomes more about the optics and perception of a stable that you have versus how much does this guy or girl actually get? If I pay them 1 million, how do I know that they're getting me 1.1 million back in sales of equipment or gear or whatever? So at, to Tony's point, you have this huge stable of really talented golfers, the best in the world. John Rahm might be odd man out. And if that's the case, imagine if you're John Rahm, you're looking around going, man, I want to be, I want to felt like I'm wanted somewhere. Right. And if Callaway offered them that deal, that's probably what happened. All right. Well, I appreciate all of your opinions. We'll have to wait and see how it goes with Callaway for John Rahm. Uh, I want to check in Harry and Chris with the both of you. Last week, uh, you dug into Even Roll's new V-Series putters, as well as their mid-lock putters. Uh, Chris, let's start with you. Tell me about the V-Series and what you liked and what you didn't. Yeah. So, you know, a couple of things here. One thing, you know, always appreciated kind of just about the the approach that Even Roll takes. You know, really at his core, Garen, and and I know he'll appreciate this, he's a he's goofier in hell. The guy's a goofy dude. He's a great guy, but he really exists to solve problems. He likes to find a problem and then try to find a way to solve that simple problem. Right. And so when you look at his platform, it's like, okay, here's what the grooves do. This is the purpose. This is how they're going to work. This is the problem they solve. With V-Series, really, it's kind of a two-pronged question. Two things he's trying to solve is, one, can we give golfers more meaningful options in a way that isn't cost-aversive? And what I mean by that is, you know, if you were to say, okay, we're going to take this one head shape, call it head shape A, and we're going to offer that one head shape with four different hosels, now I need four different SKUs, right? So I got that one head shape with four different hosels. I got four different products. Well, what if I could offer that one head shape and now we have the different hosels, but they're interchangeable. Basically, it allows people to have more options throughout a line without increasing the price just because you have to make that many different finished products. And then secondly, and, and, and that's really the larger conversation probably is the fitting. And and when you talk to people, you know, inside the putter industry, I was chatting with another guy yesterday who's rolling out a bunch of uh, putter stuff for this year that should be very fitting centric is how should you actually get fit for a putter? What are the four or five things that you should really pay attention to? And, and part of what 
um, Garen and Evenerl is trying to solve with this is is the issue of aim and how golfers really in general cannot aim a putter well. And so trying to figure out the best way to give them options within a fitting framework to get fit for a putter that they can consistently aim by finding the head shape and hosel configuration that works best for them. That really is the the, the platform that they're going with here. There's some more details and things uh, within there, but really it's simple. It's simple to understand, simple what they're doing, and it makes, again, like a lot of even roll putter releases, it just makes a lot of sense. So we'll see. So Harry, can you explain the arm lock putter to, or the, I'm sorry, the mid lock putter to us? It's a new approach on an arm lock, correct? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've tinkered around with arm lock putters for about half a year, just in and out. And I just could never get comfortable with it just because I, I had to change my whole setup. It felt foreign. I had to move the ball up in my stance and it just didn't feel natural. So I ended up going away from it every single time. With the mid lock, the grip is positioned in a way that it, you don't need to change your setup per se. You just set up like you do a 34 inch putter, which is normal, and it just feels natural. You don't need to do anything. You just put it up against your forearm and it sets you up like a natural 34 inch putter. And the good thing about arm lock and mid lock is your the putter and your arms are one unit. The idea about arm lock is you don't have face rotation. It reduces the face rotation. So therefore you can be more stable throughout your stroke and therefore hopefully start the ball on the intended line more often than not. All they're trying to do is eliminate variables in your punch stroke. For arm lock golfers, you, you should give it a go. It really is impressive. Adam, what do you think about even Roll's design ingenuity with the mid lock putter? So a few things. One, you have to remember that um, arm lock putters in a you know quick survey that we did have only been tried by less than 10% of golfers, right? Arm lock is an awkward thing for a lot of golfers. And when you come to the putting green, the last damn thing you want to feel is awkward, right? You want to feel confident and comfortable over the ball. So for those that do believe in an arm lock, this is what they call arm lock made easy. So mm -hmm. if you're looking for something to simplify that and not make it feel so awkward, and you're dead set on trying arm lock and think it's going to help you, this is probably your best option. That said, what we have seen for years of putter testing is that any odd variable that gets thrown into our putter test, whether it be a really big head or a really wacky alignment aid or a really wacky grip, you see performance of that putter drop off. And that's because it's an oddity. It's something that takes a while to get used to. So what I would say is this, if you're going to do an arm lock, this would be a great option to try. That said, if you're going to do arm lock, you probably would be better off committing to arm lock rather than just tinkering around with it. All right, let's let's say uh, create a scenario here. Say you wanted to switch to an arm lock putter. Would you use the mid lock, say, as a transition putter to get you to a full arm lock? Maybe. I mean, it's it's sort of like at the end of the day, right? You you still have to kind of like the the putter before the grip. So, I mean, I, I don't know the answer to that. Um. Yeah, I, I have no interest in, in arm lock because, I, I mean, so it's like... I, there's a reason I saved this question for you. Yeah, it's, I mean, I I look at my Arco stats and if there's one club in my bag, I don't I don't want to go near it. It's the putter, you know, well, where i That got, goes back to what I'm saying, right? Like, you feel comfortable. The last thing you want to do is feel awkward, correct? Right. Yeah, and so it's, I mean, it goes back to that, and I mentioned this before, like, it's it's the simplest thing in terms of, you know, quantifying equipment performance Anything new is either for for you as an individual is either going to be better or worse or the same than what you have. And so if what you have now <laughs> you're feeling like is pretty bad, then there's a good chance that, <laughs> that arm lock is going to be better. But but here's, here's the, the interesting thing is if it's – I could feel comfortable but still have 38 putts around. <laughs> like, <laughs> I could still have that. Like, I could still feel comfortable but, but, but like shit. If you're looking to improve – and you've exhausted all of your options, you might as well give it a go. Yes, if you've exhausted all your options, right? But there is right. stroke type, there is weight, there yeah. is length, there's all these things. Arm lock comes so far down that list, in my opinion, that it's just a niche of a niche of a niche of a niche. And like I said, if you're going to commit to that niche, try a mid lock grip, right? If you're not, I wouldn't screw around with 
going to arm lock at all. There's so many other options. I Yeah, I wouldn't say that this is a transition to arm lock at all. I would say that this is a step beyond arm lock that could help okay. your game and not not feel awkward, but actually help you feel more comfortable than you would do an arm lock. Yeah, I haven't tried arm lock on a golf course, but you go to the PGA show right there around, you kind of play with them. And it is that like that awkward piece that it because it, it doesn't really contour to your arm, you're sort of forcing it up against your arm. Whereas, yeah, as Harry's showing, it, it's got that contour. So it, it wants to rest more naturally against your forearm. So that's that's a solid idea. But unless you need help. Well, Harry's struggling. Harry's on the struggle bus. I mean, right now, Harry is a great golfer, right? But the one thing that he struggles with is his putting path. And there's not many great putters that have his path. And I think he's tinkering around with a lot of things. So he's looking for a solution. Tony, on the other hand, looks at his stats and says, yeah, no thanks, right? Yeah, so Harry Harry's a posts really good numbers across the board. And he looks at his putting stats and goes, man, that's that's at, at best mediocre. I look at I look at all my stats and go, yeah, my driving, mediocre. Approach, worse than mediocre. Short game, mediocre. Putting. Don't you know, touch my, it. My, my my Arcos handicap for putting is is usually plus one, plus two. So like I'm I'm not gonna mess with that. Like I know my limitations, but yeah, yeah. If if you're looking at those same Arcos numbers and, and you're seeing for your putting stats what I see with my my approach stats, then hell yeah, man, try anything. <laughs> you're trying arm lock on the drive, right? Oh yeah, my god, yeah, no. <laughs> so what type of putter would an arm lock be right for? Is there one type that it fits? So I asked Garen this, like when we were when we were talking about it, I said, Okay, like who'd you really design this for? You yeah. know? And he said, Well, certainly it's the it's the the person that doesn't have the amount of time to spend to get comfortable with an arm lock, okay. right? Somebody that says, "Hey, I can see the benefit in this in my game. I can I, I can understand why this might help my particular putting stroke, but I don't have the amount of time to get through all the awkward phases to the point that it feels comfortable." Like, yeah, arm lock made easy. Yeah, so they're saying, okay, he's saying, okay, so yeah, on one hand, it's absolutely for that person that wants to do it, but basically, you set up to this, and it's a little forward press, and you're in your position. It's 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 a much easier transition. So yeah, that's one person. I mean, think about it like this too, like super stroke when it came out, right? It was a putter grip, and everybody, it took the world by storm. I mean, it went yeah. from not being anywhere to being everywhere, and then every manufacturer putting it on every single you know stock putter for the most part. Mm -hmm. That's not what we're talking about here. This is a niche putter grip, right? For a niche style of putting. But for those people, I think it's probably one of the better options because of how awkward arm lock naturally is to the human body. And this kind of solves that problem. Yep. And the other, the second type, there's going to be some people that accidentally find it and go, oh, wow, this is better than I thought, you know, the, the walking around on the putting green, trying it out and going, okay, I'll try it and see. And they go, wow, that really is simpler than I imagined it was, but it's not going to be their number one selling putter. It's not going to be, it's not going to overtake, you know, the ER2 and the ER5, um, you know, that, that they just kill it with. It's, it's not going to do that. Um, but you know, it's going to be there for somebody, maybe Harry. Maybe. It might go straight in my basket. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I want to transition here. Tony, let's talk about PXG because they are, um, Acting a little bit unlike PXG, aren't they? Uh, with their new O211 line, the price is looking a little different. Yeah. Um, so yeah, O211 line, brand new, right? Just launched. O211 itself, not new. They released O211 irons back in uh, 2019, which seems like a million years ago. It does. Um, but now, it was. So now it's a. I don't want to say full line extension, but it's a it's a most of the way through the line extension. So you know you've got a driver that is sub four hundred dollars. I, I want to say three ninety five. We can confirm that price. Fairway woods hybrids that are trend inexpensive, especially by PXG comparisons. And again, a a, f a full set of irons that runs four through lob wedge if you want it. So you you have PXG that's not necessarily in the the bargain basement department but but price wise they're gonna have this line that is on average lower than what you would see with with Callaway TaylorMade etc and this is you know coming off a year when PXG essentially transitioned to a discount brand in a in a little bit of a different fashion where yeah, they once COVID hit, like they were pretty quick to lower pricing across the board. They called it, you know, it was supposed to be for a limited time and then was extended and extended and extended. And you kind of got to a point that where for, for most of the year, 
PXG was you know competing with Torridge on price, which is which is kind of almost absurd when you think about like PXG was way up here as as arguably the most premium brand that that kind of touches the fringes of the mainstream market, and and then they sort of went completely the opposite to to one of the lowest price brands. Uh, pretty wild year, yeah. Adam, I want to come to you with a simple question: Why? Hey man, Bob Parsons is the is the head honcho over at PXG, and when he makes a decision. It's a decision. Well, I take that back. Sometimes he makes a decision and then changes it at the last minute. But when it came to COVID, <laughs> he, he made a decision right away to lower prices. And I think all along he was, you know, rope-a-dope in the industry. He came in at a higher price and said, hey, I'm going to set this floor as the premium luxurious brand in golf, right? And performance. And then he came in at the bottom. So he's going top down and bottom up. And he's going to probably try to take you know, instead of just the rich, richest of the rich, the maybe not so rich anymore. And he's going to try to grab market share at both ends. And it's pretty cool because when he went high, everybody chased him. And then all of a sudden he went low and everybody goes like, what in the front, right? How, what is going on? But my question is kind of why, if you're a new PXG buyer, do you ever buy the more expensive PXGs anymore? I think that's the intriguing question here. And as I was thinking about it because I was writing the article on the 0211 irons and and kind of working my way through that, right? And kind of comparing those irons. And yeah, you can talk the specs and features and whatever, and it carries over some stuff from Gen 3, the dual core stuff on the inside. Some of the materials are the same. Again, cast, not forged. And in my mind, it, it, it follows a couple other examples that are out there, right? Where we've talked about the difficulties going back to like the beginning of like Titleist when they came out with concept stuff, right? And we said one of the most difficult pieces of that messaging is how do you come out with something that is elite and now convince people that what you had already come out with was your best thinking and saying, oh, that was our best thinking until we came out with our better best thinking. <laughs> and now eventually, you know, that's going to kind of trickle down and, and get into that whole concept car space. And you see all the other brands that have had issues with that over the years, right? And you see yes. the Facebook comments right when a Callaway or TaylorMade releases something now. Yeah. PXG didn't have that problem before because they were always releasing something at a much more expensive price point. But now they're going to start getting, it's going to take a little while to trickle down. Yep. But once people start to realize it in the masses. I think the answer part of, or maybe it's not the total answer. I think we know what the 0211 is, right? And that's that's gap to you know, the Banana Republic, right? And and if you're trying to create these almost different tiers within your brand, okay. But you can't really see how much space there is between the middle of the road and, you know, the top of the line until you have examples in those areas. Right now, what we have is PXG's example of their, let's call it the middle of the road, their, you know, gap. Middle of the right? mall, yeah. Middle of the mall, right. Yeah, exactly. This is their gap. It's not their old Navy you know, this is the the meat of the market. Okay, what's the one that's going to be the step above that? That premium flagship. I think the. I mean, the coloring and everything stays the same, right? So if you're telling me fifteen hundred dollars, the difference between price of an iron set between the two, basically plus, right, is some tungsten screws. I mean, that's going to be a hard thing to sell to me. You know, people buy people buy the Mercedes G wagon, right, paying one hundred and fifty k and up, and you can get the GLS for hundred thousand. There's a such that is such a a bigger canvas to paint on than a, yep. si a small club to show those differences, right? For sure. So some of it's going to be a status piece, right? Well, and that's I mean that is the tricky part. You you can't come in and say, hey, here's here's my O two eleven. It's more affordable, but you know, I, it's it's crap. It doesn't perform as well. Like because we had to keep like you you can't do that. And in fact, if you look with the first round of O two elevens, right, the the first foray into this affordable space, like Pat Perez played them for a while on tour. I think Wyndham Clark played one of the long irons too, like maybe two iron, three iron. Yeah, so I mean, you had guys who are play at the highest levels who who preferred the inexpensive stuff, and so you know there there is a little bit of a challenge to walk that line. I think eventually you'll see kind of it shake out and you will see more premium product from PXG and the difference is is probably going to come down to to a little bit of technology and that technology may just be hey we can we can do more with these weights and and really dialing dial in the fitting and build a set in a way that we can't build with the O211 because it's traditional construction if you will but 
we know one thing that PXG kills it in is experiences, right? And yeah. so yeah. if they can tie these different um, again, terrible car example, but Lincoln has their black label, right? They're very top of the top, and that comes with concierge services and different things that you get by buying into that. Now, whether that's real or imagined or how often you're going to use the pickup drop-off service or the free loaner car or the free car rental, whatever, who knows? But there's a perception, right? And a perception of difference. Like we said, PXG understands how to cater to the elite of the elite. Um, we're going to see if they can learn how to cater to the middle of them all. Well, here, I think it begs a brand trust question, because now that they're making clubs that are more affordable, if I were a PXG owner, I would be thinking, why did you charge me the exorbitant amount of money you did in the first place if you could have sold them to me and still had a profit margin at a cheaper price? I think Chris is, well, they're going to have to figure that out, but I think Chris yeah. is right. PXG is all about the experience and they do experience better than anybody in golf Anyone. and it ain't even close. Okay. So if they can give you a better experience with the higher end stuff, you don't walk away feeling, you know, too frustrated at all because you're like, Hey, I got to hang out at the golf club with them. And they, you know, they did this for me and they did that for me. And my box came in something other than a Brown Manila, you know, box. And I mean, it comes down to the details, right? And uh -huh. PXG does details better than anybody. Well, and there's yep. there's a numbers factor to it, right? Bob has always said like our clubs are a luxury, but they're an affordable luxury. And so, you know, <laughs> if you're if you're a golfer who who's looking at your standard retail shelf and go, "All right, I can get for example, Mizuno's for 12, 1300 or I can get PXG's for 3500." You're looking at that number and going, "Man, that is that is ridiculous. There is absolutely no way I'm willing to pay that premium." But if you're within the the PXG's original customer base, right, that that ultra rich, you know, million dollar plus a year customer, the difference between sixteen hundred and thirty five hundred, twelve hundred yeah, and thirty five hundred is is nothing. It's yeah. nothing. And, and not only that, but that person that you're talking about doesn't want to be. If there is an option to be seen as playing that next one up, they want to be seen yeah. playing that brand. I mean, well, it's 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 like it's like back in my old club in England the guys with cigars were like the old rich guys and he would have a cigar. If I came in with like a really cheap cigar that I got from down the street or 7-Eleven. <laughs> Harry's in there with his, his Swisher, Swisher Sweets. Swisher Sweets, yeah. yeah. But it's not a Cuban. It's not a Cuban cigar. So I am better than you. That kind of stuff. It is like that. It is oh, like, yeah. right, I mean, you have this, but I have this. You see this Cuban? <laughs> Dude, I mean, I'll never forget. Sam walked up with some Wilson irons one day and Wilson was an iron that did well for him. And we were at some shoot doing somewhere and somebody was literally laughing at our bag, you know? And they were like, why in the hell would you play Wilson? And that's, they had no idea how well it performed. They had never hit the club before. It literally just had a name on it. And that was, they went with an opinion, right? So that's how a lot of golfers buy. So speaking of luxury and, and experience, um, would you buy the PXG signature scented candle? <laughs> <laughs> Man, yeah, you know. it's available on their website for forty dollars. <laughs> I'm saying, if anything, in my house, with the number of women in my house, if anything smells good, <laughs> it's probably getting purchased. And if it smells good enough, I don't know that there's a price too high. But forty dollars for a signature a signature candle. Tony and I have been talking about it for probably six months. There's something different going on with PXG. Um, the apparel side has taken. You know, oh. if the pie if the pie was a hundred percent Bob talking about how kick ass their clubs were, and you know, no one makes clubs like we do. Period. Now it's you know a lot more apparel, and nobody makes scented candles as well as we do. Period. <laughs> and that pie has gone from a hundred to zero to seventy scented candles and apparel and thirty percent club talk. I don't know what's going on there. It does seem a little odd to me. Uh, and so did the scented candle and the wine bag. You know, thing. Well, and I think too, right? It's <clears throat> there is an element. Obviously, COVID has an impact on things, and I think the other thing too, right? With with PXG, as much as you know, releases have accelerated a little bit. You still don't have that that rigidly defined release schedule, and so you know, you had the prototype drivers launch in the spring. You had a a couple putters like right the one and done right after election day. I thought the timing of that was brilliant. The battle ready. Yeah, and but th that was pretty much it for the season. So it was a light equipment year anyway. And so I guess you, you could have forced 
um, equipment into the market or you say, hey, this is this is an opportunity to talk about another side of the business, which, you know, knowing what we know is is if you're if you're Puma, apparel is a high margin <laughs> lineup. If you're if you're selling at PXG, it's it's absurd margins. And so for everybody, for everybody, apparel apparel's way higher margin across the board than equipment, right? Equipment from a margin perspective is shitty. Well, let's, let's go back to Nike, right? Like when they were in business, in my opinion, they didn't make very good golf clubs and you know they didn't make a lot of money selling golf clubs, but a dollar is a dollar, right? And it doesn't matter if you make a dollar selling a shirt or a shoe or a club, they equal the same. And you can see what Nike did. They said, screw the clubs. We'll come out with limited edition golf shoes one after another and probably make more money than we did all those years make trying to be in the club business, right? So yeah. there is a side of, hey, we can make money on clubs for PXG, but there's this apparel thing that's got really high margins as well. But again, I think it's it's all to do with perception. Like you have the PXG perception of, hey, this is luxury. If I have a if I have a bloody candle and someone comes in and said, Oh, that's that PXG candle. That co- that must have cost a lot of money. That's more than Yankee candles. Smells like the duck's nuts. <laughs> it's still it's still perception thing. Like anything with a PXG logo is still going to hold yeah. value. Take take your office. When I walk in there, what's the ball marker that's sitting in there since yeah. the day? You have a PXG ball marker that's just yeah. sitting there, right? Why is that? Probably because, because you're like, it's cool. There you go. One other real simple argument: if you're a golfer or you're a golf company. And, and you want to expand your reach and, and maximize your profit, I mean, what, what better way than to offer products that extend beyond golf? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. and think about like this too. People don't realize, but Bob owns a lot of other businesses. So once you build that infrastructure where you're already making clothes for Harley Davidson and you're already making candles for some other business and furniture for another business, then you just cookie cutter those over. It's, you've already got the supply, the distribution, all that stuff, right? Kind of set in place. Why wouldn't you take advantage of that infrastructure that you've built in your other businesses and use it in the one you're running now, which, you know, to him, yes, that's golf. And we talk golf, but he's in a lot of different, he's got his hands on a lot of different things. So can we come out with our own candle this year? Is that what you're saying? Cause we may have some new, my golf spy apparel stuff, right? What would what our would scent our, be? Yeah. What's the smell of truth? What is the truth? <laughs> like fire, like, like burn. <laughs> what does the truth smell like? Stinks to some people. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe uh, we should try and capture the scent of the test facility after a full day of testing. No. Like, what no. would it smell like if you just like cut like 150 golf balls in a row just real quick? Ooh, that is not uh, a good smell. Actually, it would. It would actually depend on the brand because there are like Shrixon to me is the one where I'm like, well, that one. Hold on. I would have never thought to ask the question. Wait a sec. I know what Miranda's gonna do. No, I would have. Miranda's got different brand ball scented candles. <laughs> no, That's what I'm but saying. I just it never would have occurred to me that cutting up different balls would have smelled differently. Like my yeah. mind is blown. Yeah, to me, and again, like I Strixon is the one where, you know, if I cut it open, I'm like, that's a that's a Strixon. It's powerful. It's very pungent. That's so interesting. Pungent. It really gets in the nostrils. Yeah, it's got a little hint of Sex Panther in it, for sure. <laughs> 60% of the time works every time. <laughs> We're off the rails. Welcome back. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to come back to you on this one. Um, where It's finally, today's the day that we can show everybody the Ping G425 line. Uh, I want to come to you on this because we know ping is somebody to not put anything out unless they can improve on what they've already put out so why is the 425 different than the 410 line yeah i mean with with ping it's always going to be you know subtle improvements they're not going to come out and talk about some radical speed boosting technology that's you know going to be infinitely better than than what they had before and so you you almost expect a, a g425 to be a little bit better than a g410 and i think that's a that's a fair assessment uh, what stands out to me is that you know now that they're collapsing under the the 425, they are they've settled on three models, not four. So the the plus is gone. It has become the max, which was a G400 product. And the reason they've done that is with what is their mainstream kind of their middle part of the bell curve, the one that's expected to fit the most golfers. They have pushed the MOI so high that it's effectively eliminated the need for a max. And so the numbers we've seen the the initial measurements are that. You know, it is it is essentially maxed out for MOI to the point of being within safe tolerances. 
so you get like this exceptionally forgiving driver with the with the Max that's designed for everybody. It's not sort of this, hey, you know, I I I have to give up something to get forgiveness. Like this is this is the one for the most golfers. So that's that's really compelling. The other piece that I find super interesting. We talked about this before, right? With any type of draw bias driver, as soon as you move that weight into the heel position, you give up a little forgiveness. Well, the way the the Max 420, the G425 Max is engineered, the MOI in that heel position is actually a little higher than the back. So, you know, ideally for the guy who's slicing it and probably needs the most forgiving forgiveness he can get, he's getting a little bit more still. So it's it's just these little bits of engineering that's that's just wild. That adjustable weight is actually really heavy as well. Like traditionally, yeah, they're so not it's, as heavy. So that's why the MOI is going to be higher. Check, check the article. I want to say, yeah, I think it's 26, 26 grams. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's a like A massive, that, yeah. massive amount of weight. And so not only does that help them boost the MOI, but because that weight is so big, they don't have to move it as far, you know, in the range to achieve the same result. So your your slice correction, you know, the degree of correction you get hasn't changed. It's not less than it was with the previous model, but you're getting it with higher MOI because that weight is so big. I wonder what the swing, I haven't put them on the swing weight um, machine yet, but I wonder if the swing weight's gone up compared to the 410. It's going to be about the same because Ping engineers heavy heads anyway. So PXG and Ping tend to be around 206 grams plus or minus. Um, most everybody else tends to be in the you know, 198, 202 kind of range. So, so yeah, I wonder if they've they've eliminated some weight inside of the head to to mitigate the 26 grams. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely. You you save weight somewhere else and you throw it in the back and yeah, yeah. So. You know, you, you get this monster amount of forgiveness in, in what is probably more playable than a typical max MOI driver. It's not the same type of compromise you typically have to make. Harry, you've been able to hit the 425 driver. How does it feel? Um, it feels like a ping. It just feels consistent. Um, I will not be surprised if this was one of the most consistent drivers again in this year's test. It always is. Um, it re the one interesting feeling thing about the ping is the sound. The sound is lower decibels than the 410. You know, when you, when you play baseball and you hit the ball and it has that really like <laughs> sound, it's like sec. that. Have you ever yeah. hit a baseball bat? <laughs> he has I actually. Have. You, know, you know, when you play cricket and nobody <laughs> understands what you're doing. Same thing. <laughs> So go go back to that baseball bat analogy again. What was that? So it has that you know when you have when you have that piercing sound that off a metal yeah. bat. Or well, I'm I'm talking about wood. Okay. Oh that, like, wow, we're going back wood. to like the 19. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we're talking crack. It's like <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like sealed, wacky. It sounds like that. But oh, again, gosh. it feels it feels like a ping. It it sounds very different than a, an an older ping. Again, it's it's it. It's just going to be good. It's just going to be consistently good. I can just guarantee you that. Adam, do you think we see it at the top of the leaderboard for most wanted this year? You know, it's funny. Like when the four or sorry, the G four hundred came out, we said after the testing and looking at all of the data that that was the best driver overall that we had ever seen created. Right. So when they came out with the four ten, you're sitting there just going, "How in the hell are they going to do this? How are they going to improve on that?" And they did. Right. So. When you think, how are they going to improve on the 410, which won most wanted driver tests, you're you're trusting a little bit more that they're probably going to figure out a way to do it. So if they get better than the 410, which I'm sure they probably did, you know, we'll see when testing the data uh, is shown. But yeah, I have no reason to believe why it wouldn't be in some form or fashion. The other thing that I really enjoy about the 425 is it sounds like it's one driver, right? You have a 425. They actually have three drivers that are so specifically built for three different types of golfers and that do so well if you are fit into those or know which one to get. It's pretty remarkable. You know, like the SFT, if you're somebody that slices the ball. In generations of SFT testing, we haven't seen anything that's remotely close to, to sort of correcting for that slice and, and putting balls back in the fairway and back in play. It really is in a class of its own. And, and so with that model in particular, they've added even greater slice correction, more left side bias. And, and that was actually, you know, a question I asked, said, you know, is there a point at which you say, all right, this is 
this is as left as we would want it to go? You know, the, the answer is no. Like we're, we're going to push it as far as we can because for the guy who doesn't need that absolutely positively maximized slice correction, well, then, then we have the max, right? Because we can still correct slice with the max. We can just correct even more of a slice with the SFT. So why not push that to the absolute extremes of slice correction? And the other piece of it, which, you know, when you set it down, it looks a little closed, but it, it doesn't look ridiculous. Like if you go back, right, Adam, remember we did the, uh, the power pod <laughs> two yes. or whatever it was, where it was like this totally whacked out, completely unconventional design. You put that SFT down and it, not only does it look like a driver should look for the most well, part, it, it achieves the same. It achieves the same effect with a driver that actually looks like a regular driver. Right. It looks like everything else in the 425 lineup, minus some subtle details. And so, you know, if you're a guy who's willing to acknowledge you need help, but definitely don't want something that that looks like a crutch in your bag, like that's. <laughs> That's, that's a pretty awesome option. Um, and, and again, so it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's a detail, right? We're going we're gonna to make this driver that, that just keeps you from going right, but we're going to make it look like any other driver on the market. Well, here's what I would say. And, you know, people hate when we actually come out and make a stance on things. But look, most wanted in my golf spy testing is the unbiased part of this business, right? It is what it is. The data is what it is. But no putts given is where we can take that, you know, 20 years or however long we've been in the industry and say an educated opinion and feel pretty confident in that. And it's crazy. As well known as the Ping brand is, they are by far, in my opinion, the most underrated driver in golf for the difference in how well they perform versus how well they probably are looked at as number one. And what I mean is when you say who makes the best driver? Uh, the majority of people are going to come up with two names, Callaway and TaylorMade, because they're really good at marketing and they've made some good drivers. But Ping, year after year, test after test, just quietly goes about its business and makes the best driver in golf. And it's pretty cool to watch, you know? Yeah, I think it's a, a fundamentally different approach. And, and because of that different approach, it's a different messaging, right? We've seen the teasers for the new Callaway product, right? It's speed, <laughs> speed, you know, and and TaylorMade is, is going to talk about speed, I'm sure. And and quite frankly, if you are going into a hitting bay or, you know, if I'm if, if there's some world in which I can stand outside of a hitting bay, watch a guy walk into that bay and say, hey, given five swings with each, which driver is he going to produce the fastest single ball speed with or hit the, the longest uh -huh. single ball with? I'm going to put my money down on Callaway or TaylorMade every time because yep. I think I think if you're going to, if, if that is what you're looking for, right, that that one drive to rule them all mindset, yeah, I'm, I'm going to put my money in terms of ball speed and distance on those two brands. But if you said, hey, you know, this guy is not going to get fully fit. He's not going to get properly fit. He's going to come in and buy off the rack. It's yeah, paying. I'm, I'm, I'm putting my money on paying every time. Absolutely, yep. positively, every time. Quick quick story that had a little off topic, but when you were talking about the Callaway Speed name, um, you know, we, we showed that some of the USGA uh, picks of the noobs, you know, you know uh, Callaway drivers that have the name Speed in it. And we had a lot of people saying, man, enough with the name Speed. So I wanted to give a little context on why they use the name Speed still it after sells. like 10 to 12 <laughs> years. Um, I was working on a project with one of the people that helped develop the names of these products for companies. And they were developing the name of a driver for one of the biggest golf brands. And they were in the meeting and they had all these great ideas and, you know, they pitched these cool names and they just said, listen, at the end of the day, the one that comes back is that it's going to have the biggest impact on golfers when we do surveys. Still to this day, no matter how cool your names are and how much time you spend on them is speed. So that's why we keep getting the name speed is because that's what golfers keep thinking is going to go farther and longer and straighter. And that's, I mean, that's the thing, right? And and there is some, you look at strokes gained and that that probably complicates the issue any a, a bit farther, right? Where this idea that, Longer leads to lower scores, when and that's true. But one, it needs to be consistently longer, right? Not longer on one shot. It needs to be kind of longer on all the shots. And the other piece of it is it, it needs to be longer, but also in the short grass more often. And so that that's kind of the thing where, you know, ping you know, forgiveness is, if you want to look at MOI in the strictest terms, helps preserve ball speed and kind of narrow your distribution front to back. But, you know, ping also does a really good job of, manufacturing drivers that just kind of go straight 
Right. And so, you know, when we look at, at some of the stuff we see from, you know, if we look at Taylor made a great example, right? Last year, the sim was long. I mean, that was that was a long driver. Um, but if we look at the, the the distribution of shots, we're like, yeah, but guys struggled to 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 hit it straight. And so was it mostly mostly going right? I'd have to check. I mean, we just kind of look at how far offline it is on average. But what I what I noticed with with my driver is that the lie angle was really flat. Well, and TaylorMade's going to do that because for they're a tour brand, right? So right. That's, but it was a lot. It was really really flat. It was about five degrees. So again, it's it's just one of those things. Like if you're, I think you should go get fit, and I think if you are going to go through a full fitting with a reputable fitter. The best driver for you very likely may be a Callaway, could be a TaylorMade or a Titleist or a TorEdge, right? You you just never know how things are going to click when you're when you're pulling from individual components and, and finding this thing where everything comes together optimized for you. Yeah, I tell you, you, you that could be anything, but if you're going to just again, walk in and pull something off a rack based on five shots. If you want the cheap lottery ticket that gives you the best chance of winning a one to four ratio of five <laughs> bucks back, it's a ping. Yeah, I think so. All right, I've got a hot seat for you guys. So, uh oh, uh -oh. it's a dare this week. Let's say you're out on the course a with dare? your buddies. A dare, yep. I take it. I'm in. <laughs> All right, you're out on the course with your buddies, and they say there's a thousand dollars on the line. You have to make this. It's snowing. <laughs> all right sorry okay so you're out on the course it's snowing there's a thousand dollars on the line you have to make a 10 foot putt with an arm lock chris do you take the bet what do i what happens if i miss because this sounds pretty good so far yeah you owe a thousand dollars if you miss oh so if i miss so it's a thousand dollars so are you willing to bet a 10 foot putt with an arm lock for a thousand dollars yeah no no well, yeah, hell yeah, I am. No. PJ Tour average is 50-50 at eight feet. But you said it was snowing, right? Yeah, it's snowing. <laughs> so I can just make a little track of grass and put it? I'm in. Tony, do you take the bet? Do you try it with an arm lock for a thousand bucks? Yeah, for for a thousand bucks, I'm gonna I'm gonna take my first putt ever with a with a with a putter and grip <laughs> I've never tried before. No, I'm in, I'm nuts, but no. Tony, do you take it with your your putter that you use when you go out regularly? Ten foot putt is on a no. If, <laughs> it it really depends how familiar I am with the course yeah. and, and where I am on it. Yeah, I'm gonna. There are some putts I would take my chances with, and others I would look at and go, no way. So. All right, Harry, how about you? $1,000 on the line, an arm lock putter. Do you take the bet? No. Oh, you guys are no fun. I'm not good enough of a putter right now to, <laughs> to bet that much money. <laughs> All right, Harry, so you're a week into most wanted testing at this point. Uh, so I, you've probably got a few things that you're learning. Can you give us any little teasers or sneak peeks at what we might see in this year's test? I can't. I, I don't see any trends right now, just because we're only three or four <laughs> days in. Is it so is a little I, early to declare a winner? I said yeah. sneak peeks. Well, Teasers. I can give you some stuff. Uh, Honma is still very annoying when you change the loft. It is just <laughs> absolute shit show. You can't understand what they're doing. It's functional though. It's you're not fitting it every day. Philip's yeah. fitting every day, and I can see his frustration on his face. I tell you one thing, that PHG, there's something special about those PHG drivers that's going to shock people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Is that a feature on it? That was vague. It, you, Maybe. I guess you could, yeah, well, that's, you could. that's the point. <laughs> You'll find out. You could call it a feature. The Cobra Rad Speed, I love the look of it. And for me, personally, it came off really hot. That sounds like a hot, hot list type of quote right there. Mm -hmm. I guess, yeah. It yeah. came off really hot. I like I'm that. Actually, I'm, actually, I'm actually working for them too. <laughs> that ball jumped, man. That ball jumped <laughs> off the face. <Yeah. laughs> Do you see that penetrating ball flight on that thing? It left a chemtrail. But seriously, it was. <laughs> <laughs> we all hit them so far, Harry. What, what are you liking so far most from a sound feel standpoint? Or what is like the biggest difference from a last year's model or the last test versus this one that you've seen, you know? The Sim and the Sim 2. For me personally, when I hit it, it's not going as far right as this original Sim. It's still going a long way, but it's not going as far right. That's a big difference because I 
Sometimes I couldn't control how far right it went. Yeah, the, the fairway's o- the fairways over here, so that's a good thing, right? <laughs> Hell yeah, it is. <laughs> Most of the time. <laughs> These kind of things happen from time to time, right? Like, you know, give a, give a guy who worked at Callaway a few years ago a couple beers and have him talk about the razor fit extreme and, and what that was like from a, a left-right accuracy perspective. So, you know, it happens. Things slip through. But when you have twist face and you throw all this power behind twistier and twist face and things are supposed to be shot shaping correctly, like, that's the last thing you expect, right? Well, you, you look know, though, Sim was kind of a, you know, that was a, a pretty significant engineering overhaul of, of totally the tailor-made design, right? Like a total total overhaul. And so yeah. there are some, you, you know, if you change, if you change one thing, very often you have to change a lot of others and they changed a lot of things. So, yeah. The, does... the last thing that I would say <clears throat> that is noticeable and it's probably not going to be surprising is I was hitting some 176, 178 ball speeds with name name one driver. Callaway. Yes. So again, mm-hmm. that that's oh. still true. The the ball speed is consistently high. Point of reference. So like what what would you be at? Like a hundred percent average over like 174? Like is that two, three miles an hour faster? Yeah, I would say 172 to 174 is probably my average uh yeah. across the board. But it was jumping up there when, when I got up there. But obviously, we don't know forgiveness. We don't know how much ball speed I'm losing with off-centered shots. Well, every, everybody, they, you know, know, puts their eggs in a basket, right? They go after the yep. ball speed. Ping goes after a different lever. And, you know, TaylorMade, uh, you know, that's Distance. the name of the game. Everybody wants to differentiate some way. Well, and if, yeah. you're, if you are trying to sell a golf club, which is every manufacturer's objective, making it go really long and really fast, you know, even if it's not necessarily consistent, we don't know, right? We we don't have enough data to make that kind of judgment. Are you saying that golfers actually <laughs> buy clubs based on which ones go farther? I, I, which one? Very often, <laughs> yes, it's which one, Sorry, which one goes shot far. goes farther. Yeah. yeah, that's. I can be all over the place, but if I hit one ball that that I happen to catch perfectly and it's five yards longer and in the fairway, man, that is that immediately becomes my baseline potential, right? That is that is what I can do with this club that I can't do with any other. Harry's a professional golfer, and the one thing that he was like, oh, the one thing I want to mention is that cal that ball speed. So even somebody as good as Harry also gravitates towards that one that produced <clears throat> the highest ball I speed. I do, number, you know, I do, but I'm luckily enough. I I can hit all of these drivers and compare them. My my fundamentals have changed in my head is hey, yes, I love that ball speed. That is what I'm seduced with. But if I can't control where it goes, I'd rather reduce the ball speed by a couple of miles an hour. Yeah, but lose. Callaway knows that there aren't millions oh, of golfers sure. that work for my golf spy for three years looking at that, yeah, right? And exactly. uh, they are so the- they are seduced by the, the ball speed numbers. It's seductive. Yep, speed is seductive. All right, friends. Well, this has been so fun today. Options. I missed you guys. Likewise. It's been a long one. I was going to say. Yes. <laughs> hey, if anybody out there is angry about what Tony's camera looks like, it's Tony's Tony fault. Just, Tony <laughs> forgot to turn on his <laughs> camera, so I'm sorry about that. <laughs> if anybody is happy with how Tony looks with the new camera, please post that as well. You are welcome. <laughs> this could easily become a permanent change if we get enough feedback around that. <laughs> Well, on that note, um, uh, I guess we out. 